0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from episode 50, The Exciting World of Innovative Dynamic Imaging. This conversation starts with Louise Campbell taking the patient point of view and noting how the innovations Lars discusses might provide better dynamic insights than we would get from serial biopsy without putting the patient through the pain and danger of that process. From here, this week, we are offering three conversations from episode 50, The Exciting World of Innovative Dynamic Imaging, focusing on Lars Johansson talk at Paris Nash this year. This conversation starts with Louise Campbell taking the patient point of view and noting how these advances might provide better dynamic insights than we get from serial biopsy without putting the patient through the pain and danger of that process. From here, Dr. Johansson, chief medical officer at Antaros Medical, raises a second key element from his recent Nash talk, using gadolinium or gatoxetic acid as a contrast agent based on its high level of hepatic intake. Laura suggests that we reverse our focus in liver disease from what it is today, which he describes as focusing on what shouldn't be in the liver, to tomorrow, focusing on what should be in the liver, which is functioning hepatocytes. The rest of the discussion covers ways that knowledge and research can change dramatically from these new approaches, that insight, and other items Lars discusses in the podcast. To me, this episode moved so quickly, it felt a bit like drinking from two fire hoses at once. The story it tells is exhilarating and powerfully optimistic. So even if you have to listen twice, do it. Sit back, enjoy learn. And when you're done, join the conversation on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups.
1: Louise Campbell.
0: Louise, what are you thinking? I
1: was just fascinated by listening to all. I didn't um, go to Paris, Nash, sadly, but it potentially offers a really valuable opportunity to move beyond liver biopsy eventually. The imaging techniques, the ability to monitor liver tissue and its components and changes becomes a real reality. that biopsy doesn't offer us because people don't want to do too many serial biopsies. It allows us potentially to look at the long-term effects of all these medications, of changes to people's histology and liver condition over time, irrespective of whether or not it would be a pharmacological agent. If we do lifestyle monitoring, these techniques, if they become real and we can monitor that change, it offers us To be able to monitor all those changes in individuals, no matter what the solution is, we choose to see how effective it is. And some will suit others more than others. And I suppose that's, for me, anything that reduces a patient's need to undergo biopsy and any therapy of assessment that causes side effects that put people at risk is absolutely fantastic. Lars Johansson I think you bring up another
2: important piece there, Louise. As you said, I mean with histology, we can only get that far in assessing the functional aspects. And that was the second piece I talked to about in Paris, is to use, uh, and this is something which has been around for a while, and we have Paul Hawkins uh, at Antares who's been pioneering some of this work using gadolinium contrast agent, gadoxetate, or gatoxetic acid, which is to uh, at least 50% of its biodistribution is taken up by the hepatocytes. And you know, we are so stuck on because the definition of disease is by biopsy. That's how you define NASH. But we are so stuck on, on imaging everything that shouldn't be in the liver that we kind of forget what should be in the liver and those functioning hepatocytes. So that's the other part I am t- was talking about. And that's where we already are running clinical trials using this gadolinium contrast agent. So you put patients in the MRI, you do the PDFFs you do the MRE, but you can add these contrast agents to also assess liver function, and it's actually not that difficult. And I think there are some really nice papers out there also on the prognostic value of these tests, showing that how gadolinium uptake predicts transplant-free survival and time to decompensation in, in compensated cirrhosis. That's an avenue where you can combine both the static assessment of, of stiffness and PDFF, etc., with the functional assessment of the liver. So I, I think that's very exciting for the future. One of my particular
0: fascinations personally is the whole idea of dynamic systems. And one of my real frustrations when I got involved a couple of years ago with fatty liver was that by definition, um, histopathology and biopsy is a very, very static read. You get one small slice, you get it only on a couple of occasions. Uh, what you're talking about here, and after Steven's answer, I'm, I'm going to create a section I'm calling Dare to Dream. We'll come back to it. But what you're describing is the ability to use imaging to capture all the dynamics of the liver at multiple different levels. I mean, not all, but a
2: significant
0: capture of the dynamic of the liver, which makes everything we're doing infinitely more efficient because we actually know where the target is and how it morphs.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's really a fundamental thing when you think about it conceptually that, I mean, the liver has a fantastic capacity to, to regenerate. And when that doesn't happen anymore, obviously that's when you start to 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 get in trouble. And that's why I think the number of functioning hepatocytes is a very good mark, And I think that's also why it has such strong predictive value of future outcome. If you have very few functioning hepatocytes, you are in much worse situation. That doesn't mean that it still has a clinical manifestation in terms of decompensation. You may even be at the subclinical situation, but, but I think that's why it has such strong prognostic value. Stephen, come back
0: on, on, on the comment that Lars is asking about, but then I'd like you to lead us into a section that I hadn't planned on called Dare to Dream, which is what kinds of vistas can you see, you first and then all of us, see opening up from what Lars is describing? And Lars, What I'd like you to lend to that is you mentioned other areas, subclinical, we haven't even commented on yet. So if Stephen could talk a little bit about Dare to Dream and Louise could, and then you could give us a flavor, and maybe me, depending if we have time, give us a flavor of what's out there, what's coming, you know, what does the future promise that'll make us even better equipped to deal with these issues and create therapies and approaches that work. I think that would be just a really enlightening and helpful thing for this audience. Stephen, go ahead.
3: Well, I mean, I think this is a huge area for the field, not just for NASH, but in liver disease for sure, and maybe maybe other diseases. Functional assessment has been a challenge. We've historically done hepatic venous pressure gradient monitoring, which if, if you've never seen one of those procedures, it's pretty invasive. I mean, it's very invasive. You're going through a large vein in the neck and patients have to be still, you know, you're basically measuring pressure gradients around the level of the heart, the bigger veins heading into the liver. It's a complicated process and there is significant potential for variability. Patients breathe. If patients bear down, you can change the outcome of an HVPG reading. So it's best done in centers of excellence where they do many of them. And it's also very, very costly. So, what else is there? Well, we have a couple assessments that could be done that are blood based, but these involve putting two IVs in patients and giving colate and measuring it over a three hour period of time and getting at the functionality of the liver. That's called HEPQUANT, and we're doing that in some of our clinical trials now. And the early data looks relatively promising with that technique, but again, it takes a lot of time to do, it involves quite a bit of manpower and patients on the patient's behest and at least two functional veins that could be tapped with ivs so we need something that is a little bit more holistic that can tell us a little bit more about what's happening functionally with the liver. And to do so with a technique that that Lars has mentioned opens up a huge opportunity to assess liver function in a much more easy fashion and more readily acceptable by patients. Now, the next step is how do we get this done in in a manner that that is efficient and that can advance the field relatively quickly? You know, if you think about it, we have two MRI techniques. Techniques currently that are working in this arena. One is MRI elastography and the other one is, is multi-parametric MRI in the sense that with CT1 scores above 840, we know that's linked to a long-term negative outcome. Whether it's liver-related outcome or cardiovascular or something else, that type of granularity still needs to be delineated. And Furthermore, the time period to decompensation is yet to be delineated and is a score of 1200 worse than a score of 840? And if so, by how much? We don't know those details yet. With MR elastography, with more data recently coming out from Alina Allen, we know that a KPA of 5 equates to a 20% chance of decompensating over three years. And if the MRE is 8 KPA, that it's 40% over three years. But, But that's kind of the extent of our knowledge with that right now. So could we fast forward here and ramp up our discovery of a drug and its ability to decrease or minimize outcome by using a technique such as this. And I I think we absolutely can. That's probably one of the most exciting things I took away from that meeting. I knew it was out there, but I didn't know that it was already being used and that this is something that potentially we could incorporate into clinical trials now, at least in those where we're studying cirrhosis. Because to me, that, that's where we could really get after finding a, a niche in drug development for this device, for this imaging modality
2: right now. What do you think, Lars? Do you, you agree with that? Or? I, I completely agree. If you go for really early NASH, it may not be that easy to separate. If you go to late stage or like F3, F4, it definitely can play a, a role there. I think it's nice, the papers that have been shown in, from Bastati in 2020, where they examined quite a large number of subjects and followed for four years. And it has very strong prognostic value on outcome. So I, in, in an F4 population, definitely in a cirrhosis population, this would make sense.
3: And now, back to Roger.
0: We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation, or the others, or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, October 20th, to discuss fibrosis with Scott Friedman, who Stephen has described as the father of fibrosis. It should be as enlightening and energizing as this week's episode. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.